Um, there is no junior church today, so kids, don't forget to get a kids bulletin and fill that out for a piece of candy afterwards. It is kind of interesting to see all the different colors of jerseys that are out there. Um, real quick, if you are wearing a jersey for Sports Sunday, that's what we're doing, or some sort of sports gear, please stand up for a moment. There's a couple over here who are wearing shirts of sporting, of hunting. So the, the, he, he claims that, and she's like, sit back down. So look at all the people who are participating. Okay, you guys can sit down. Thank you guys for doing this. This is just a, a fun thing. And yes, I am not wearing a football jersey because I am wearing something of the superior sport called hockey. That's right. See? Those with intelligence just clapped. Thank you. Several years ago, now, um, growing up, I started seeing Disney films when I was real little. Some of you were kind of older when Disney first started coming out with those. But uh, several years ago, Disney made a movie called Aladdin. How many of you have seen Aladdin? There we go. That's right. Okay, in this movie is this special cave. What is it called? Cave of Wonders. That's right. We're going to watch a video real quick of when this cave first appears. Quickly, follow the trail! Cave of Wonders. Huh? Cave of Wonders? By Allah. Now, remember, bring me the lamp. The rest of the treasure is yours, but the lamp is mine. Huh? <laughs> the lamp? Huh? The lamp? Jeez, where'd you dig this pozo up? Within. 
The whole idea of this cave is going to test Aladdin to see if he is worthy to come in there. And, and how many of us want to know, are we worthy of going into a cave? Worthy of this cave of wonder? Something that is deep inside us that tells us we are worthy. Now, that's what our whole theme this year is. Pursuing. Pursuing what? Something that is deep within us that is worthy. A heart after God. In the cave there that um, we saw, Aladdin's going to go in, and what is all through the cave of wonders? Treasures. There are lots of treasures, but he is not to touch the treasures. He is only to touch what? The lamp. I think it is so funny that the adults are actually answering these questions about a kid's movie. That's funny. Okay, it's really a proving ground. Is this guy who is worth more, he's the diamond in the rough, going to follow the instructions? This year we're studying the whole life of David, and just like Aladdin, David ends up in a cave of wonders. Instead of a golden lamp, though, something greater, something better is awaiting David. Last week in our study, when we left David, he was dribbling saliva down his beard, scratching at the gate like a madman. Realizing that his identity was made known by the Philistines, he fakes insanity, and then he leaves the city of Gath. And now, once more, David is a man on the run. In 1 Samuel 22, it says, So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David. He's left. Remember, he had all of his training wheels taken away. And he, he ends up wanting something more. And last week we saw how, how God kind of restores him a little bit. But David has now left the land of the Philistines. He's returned to the native area of Judea, or Judah. The exact location of this rock has been disputed. Some people think they know where it is. But it could have been one of the desert hideouts not far from Bethlehem where David actually watched over his sheep. It could have been a cave that he knew of. And up to this point in David's life, this is the lowest point in his life. He is hiding in a cave all alone without security, without food. He is away from everything and everyone he loved. And it is in this cave that he comes back into the wonders of God. If we really want to know how David felt, all we have to do is read the Psalms. He composed this psalm during this period. It's Psalm 142. David writes this, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before Him my complaint. Before Him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you. Who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. See how many times he repeated, no one for him. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in this land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your 
goodness to me. That is how David felt in this cave, as a cave dweller. No one on earth cares about me. Have you ever felt that kind of despair? Have you ever felt that alone, that you were alone on this earth, that everybody who looked at you couldn't care about you? They didn't really care if you got hurt or even died. Can you feel the loneliness in this desolate spot? Can you feel the darkness of this damp cave that is creeping into his mind and into his heart? Many times when we deal with persecution and trials, when we feel life is overwhelmingly negative, what do we do? Just like we saw last week, many times we reach out for support, those training wheels, for help in all the wrong areas first. And having David have all of his um, training wheels removed, he finally does what he should have done in the first place. But what does David do in the midst of such despair? We read it in the psalm there. He finally cries out to God. He cries out to the Lord for deliverance so that he might praise the Lord and be the leader of the righteous. That's what that psalm actually says. Save me so that I can lead your people because of your righteousness. It is the part of David that God knew was in there, that hidden worth that is deep within him. It's why God chose him and called him a man after his own heart. David had been brought to this place, to this cave of wonders, to finally be revealed of who he is in God. When the sovereign God brings us to the bottom, when he opens up that pit so that we can step into it, to a place of nothing, it is not to destroy us, but it is actually a place to transform and rebuild us. Look what happens next in verse, still in verse 1, 1 Samuel 22. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Wait a minute, he just had everybody forsake him, right, in the last week? His family didn't want anything to do with him. They left him. This is the same family that hadn't been good to David. Remember when he was going to get um, ordained, anointed as the next ruler, his dad almost forgot he existed. Don't you have another son? Um, oh, yeah, we got one. He's out in the field watching the sheep. I didn't care to bring him because he's the runt of the litter. There's no way you would want him. Later, when his dad sent him to the battlefield to check on his brothers, they reacted negative towards him, accused him of having a wicked and selfish heart. At this point, he's in this cave that we just read. I, I don't know if he wanted to see his family. Have you been in that desolate place and then your family shows up and you're like, great, they're just going to tell me how much of a failure I made good. They're going to point out where I did everything wrong. They're going to blame me. I don't know if David wanted to see his family at that point or not. But they're there. What did David do? Did he kick him out of his cave? I mean, it's his cave now. He owns it in a sense. He actually rose to the occasion. He showed a measure of his unusual discretion and love by making a, a decision for his family. Verse 3, later David went to Mizpah in Moab, where he asked the king, Please allow my father and my mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. 
So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. Knowing his family would be in danger because King Saul's after him. He has no other support, it seems like, in all this area. King Saul, or David, swiftly goes to Moab, the region east of the Dead Sea, out of the land of Israel. You can see it up here on the map. Um, I know it's a little hard to see, but right here... If you see these lines going here, that's where Moab is. There's the line. And over where those other lines go is Israel. This is where he traveled to go ask Moab to take care of his family. King Saul's territory in this is purple. Okay, that's all of that area. Now, why would David flee to Moab? That's... A foreigner. That's a different culture, different country. Well, here's something I found very interesting. Moab was the region from which his ancient maternal roots had come. Ruth, the Moabite widow who follows her mother-in-law and becomes an Israelite, is from Moab. In Moab, David made arrangements for his aged parents to take refuge in comparative safety. If Saul, in his madness, wanted to try to get to David through his family, he's going to have to travel outside of his dominion, his realm, to hurt them. But David's family isn't the only one. Remember, he had his training wheels removed, and God just kind of restored him with his family, and he took leadership and control and protection over his own parents. But that's not the only group that comes. In verse 2, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, first of all, here came 400 men who were stressed out. These guys weren't happy. They came with debt. Just look real quick and listen to this. They were in distress, they were in debt, discontented. That sounds happy, doesn't it? Here comes this whole group of sad people, and David, um, God, can you give me a better group? This ragtag group here? These are the people who couldn't pay their bills. They had extended themselves too far with the creditors, or their creditors had been evil and charged too much. They became discontented. The Hebrew word there means to be in bitterness of soul, to have been wronged or mistreated. How many of you like to be around bitter people? If you're a bitter person, I'm just going to tell you, don't come over for dinner. It's just not fun. How did these folks get so distressed, indebted, and discontented? King Saul. King Saul did it. Long before Saul had been anointed king, Samuel the prophet warned them about the oppression that a earthly monarch would bring them. These these people were under the rule of Saul, and they started losing, which is exactly what God told them would happen. How do you think? David's sitting here, his family's coming, and now this group... It's not a support group. It's a ragtag group. 
How would he be feeling? I doubt he looked at that and was saying, this is exactly what I prayed for. Why would God send a group like this to David? I think there are several things going on here. First, God was preparing David to lead the nation. God was preparing him. He went in that cave to hide, but God saw it differently. Believe it or not, that dark, dank cave became a place of training for this commander and his army that would later be called David's mighty men of valor. They were destined to win the greatest victories that the people of God ever enjoyed. And this motley crew would become his mighty men in battle, his, his cabinet when he took office. David, because of this, was learning leadership. In this cave of wonders, God was revealing treasures that he was doing within him. He rallied this group of disgruntled, desperate people and taught them discipline, discipleship, and character. And he gave them direction. David taught them the truths of God. Like this one he wrote in Psalm 34, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles. But the Lord comes to rescue each time. If you feel like you are in the cave of desolation, of desperation, read this psalm again. Look what David is saying. He's saying God rescues, God redeems, God steps into those who are looking and listening for God. If you're not looking or listening for God, you're in the wrong cave. And God's waiting for you to leave that area and come back to Him. In addition to learning leadership, I believe David was learning compassion. In his exile and his grief and with this distressed group of comrades, David was learning firsthand the frustration and the anguish of those who had been oppressed. And David was developing an enormous empathy towards the unprivileged, the underprivileged of his people. Never would he be immune to the suffering of his subjects when he became king. He would have this reminder. Third thing I think we can see happening during this period was the binding of the hearts of the people to David. David was gaining loyalty from the people. No king had ever been put through what David was about to be put through. But in the midst of it all, David was honorable and selfless. I think this lesson, David gaining loyalty from the people. Many of us are wearing jerseys right now. I'm going to ask a question, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Anybody here wearing a Lions jersey? I knew one guy who was going to ruin this, and he changed teams. Finally. Because what have the Lions ever done for us? They lose. That's what they do for their fans. They lose. You can count on them to lose. Am I right? This is why he's changed teams, and I'm not going to point out Adam. Okay? Who's wearing Notre Dame. But 
We get so loyal to some of our teams, don't we? I can tell you I haven't watched a Red Wings game at all this year. And yet they're my favorite team. <laughs> my favorite team. And I haven't watched them. We get loyalty to these things, but when it comes to true loyalty, what does it mean to be loyal? That means you're with them. And I can tell you that Adam was a loyal Lions fan for until this last few months. But he was loyal. And how many times do we want that same loyalty from people around us? That same loyalty that they're going to stick with us through the failures, the losses, so that they can celebrate with us in the wins. David is gaining loyalty. These people are all wearing, I'm a David fan. I'm wearing the David jersey from this point on. His men will come to the place of commitment. And whatever their commander says, they're going to do it. Future story, and I, I'm reading up on this, but I, I had to say some of this. David is longing for water from Bethlehem. Now, when I grew up in um, Wyoming and we moved to Wabash, Indiana, my dad told us something. He goes over by the high school, Southwood High School. There is a natural spring, and it is the best water in the world. It's very cold. And he actually took us over to this. And here's this rusty pipe sticking out of the ground, and water's just pouring out of it. And he gets a jug of it, and he starts drinking it. He goes, oh. And I drank it and had to pick out iron out of my teeth. And it was horrible water. I thought it was just, ugh. But my dad loved it. Why? Because that was his childhood. He remembered stopping there and getting this fresh water, and he loved it. Even when we moved to Wyoming, or we're living in Wyoming, he longed for this water by the high school. David is doing the same thing. He's sitting there, and I wish I had some water from Bethlehem, from this certain well, this certain spring. Three of his men fight their way through the Philistine army just to get water from that well to David. You want to talk about loyalty? They fought, they risked life and limb to go get a cup of water. That is nuts. Wouldn't it be better to just go over to any stream and say, we'll just tell them it's from there. Okay, we'll just say it's close to it. But they fought all the way. That, that is devotion and loyalty. David, because of all this, this cave of wonders would become the most beloved ruler ever, human ruler, to rule and reign in Israel. He is the ultimate of their earthly kings. David knew fully well what it was to be the underdog. Remember, he's the one who walked out on that field and faced a giant. He knew what it was to suffer among the poor and the oppressed. He was a shepherd. They don't make a lot of money. He knew what it was like to be poor. Scripture tells us one final development in today's story. In verse 5, one day the prophet Gad told David, leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth. What were the training wheels he lost? His position, his family, his mentor. The mentor was a prophet. Here the mention of the prophet Gad is significant. Individuals did not have their own prophets, okay? They were for the kingdoms. Even though David is in exile, 
God sends him a personal prophet. You are still my chosen king, is what this is saying. Because the, the prophet spoke to the king and then through the, to the rest of the people. I think there is a... God intends to direct David's steps here. I think there is a contrast to take note of. Saul has lost all prophetic support. But David has a prophet here to advise him. And it took David to obey this voice. In this case, he had family come. He had a group of men come who support him. And then this prophet come and says, leave the cave. Because of David's prompt compliance to the will of God, his life would be spared, as well those with his men. Others were destined to be less fortunate and fall under the mad fury of Saul's cruel Avenging temper. The rest of chapter 22 reveals in his bitter anger, Saul will annihilate innocent priests, women, children, infants, and animals. Abathar, the son of um, Amalek, the priest, will be the only one to escape and survive. David finds out about this and invites Abathar to join his gang for protection. And all this because David went into and came out of the Cave of Wonders. Aladdin had to leave the Cave of Wonders. He kind of tricked the genie to get it. If you haven't seen Aladdin, I'm just giving you spoilers. But it's 20, um, 20 years old or more, so it's older than that. I don't know. It's old, okay? Not Jim Platner old, but it is old, Okay. The Lions won when Jim... That tells you how old Jim is. <laughs> so, Aladdin had to leave the cave so that he could start living under the, the luxury of the lamp, the things that he learned in there. David has to leave the cave. So what do we learn? The lessons I think we sh should embody and, and learn from David's reaction to these circumstances. When David finds himself in the most cir um, dire circumstances, he went through the wrong way. That was last week. But today, David cries out to God. David opens up the reservoir of his heart, and he, he pours out all of his pain, his hurt, his turmoil, and despair. If you read through that first psalm again, you can see how much he's pouring out. He, he actually says, I am a step away from death. David didn't turn away from God at this point in the midst of his trouble. Rather, he turned to and turned, into, turned to everything to God. He cried out. He told God exactly how he felt. And that to me is very interesting. How many times do we hide how we're really feeling when we're talking to God? The guy who created us, who knit us together, the guy who can hear and understand our thoughts and our feelings, and uh, God, I, I'm just kind of frustrated, when in truth, I'm mad, I'm scared, I'm lonely, oh God, I, I'm doing pretty good, so if you could just, you know, take care of things. David cries out, he pours it out, and we need to be honest with God about how we feel. 
And if you look in Scripture to everybody who honestly opens up their reservoir, opens up and is truly vulnerable and honest with God about how they feel, God hears and He honors every time I can find in Scripture. He always hears and He always honors such vulnerability. We've got to quit being fake with God. I get so tired of fake. We, get, we see fake all the time in the news, social media, in the mirror. We don't need to be fake with God. I get tired of false Christian philosophy that is promoted by so many people. You know, the health and wealth gospel. Oh, you just do this and your life's going to be perfect. That's not what Scripture says. There's another one that says the Christian life is one silver lined cloud after another. Silver lined This is the only silver line I see in my life. Right here. Some say that Christians are always positive. They're always soaring with life. Um, yeah, that's not true. I can see it right now. First off, I'm not always positive. I'm not always that positive. I'm not always living in the heights of my faith. That is not reality. That is not the truth. So why would I pretend that? Why would I tell people that? You can ask Dustin. There's sometimes I'm in a bad mood in the office. And he decides to go work at home. Sometimes the Christian life includes deep, dark caves. Sometimes we Christians find ourselves in the pit of pain and despair. And when we find ourselves in that kind of place, when we choose to be honest with God about that, be honest with each other as well. Remember Psalm 142, look what he says, I cry out to the Lord, I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before Him and tell Him, all of my troubles. Notice the complete. When you pour something out, it's empty. He gave all of his complaints over. When I am overwhelmed, you know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies set traps for me. We need to be honest about God, how we're feeling. Don't hide it. Don't fake it. If you are struggling today, acknowledge it. Admit it. Do you know what that shows? You're a person. You're alive. And that's when we can turn to God, like David did. Another thing David did was he busied himself with the Lord's assignments. He got busy doing God's work. He didn't stay in the cave. He didn't do that. That's the next thing. David gets busy doing God's work. No matter where we are in life, no matter what is happening, God has an assignment for us. I, I hear so many times, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I, I'll tell you right now, it's in the Bible. He'll reveal it to you. We simply need to respond to God by doing what He says. When I was in baseball, playing baseball, the kid who... Okay, I was one of the bench warmers for a while. And when the coach would look in to find someone to replace someone for a time... When I was sitting there, my leg crossed like this, 
I didn't get to go in. The kid who had his glove on and was watching, who was ready, who was waiting, the coach say, Johnny, get in. Because he was ready to go do the, the assignment. I knew the position. I knew the plays. I knew what to do, but I wasn't prepared to go do the work. We need to be busy, get busy doing the work of God. When David was led to the cave, he had no idea what jobs God was about to sign, but then it became obvious. His family came. His dad came. Isn't the dad supposed to take care of the family? But yet David is the anointed one, and he says, I will take care of you because God has brought you to me. And so he steps up, and he finds protection for his family. Then God sent David a motley crew of 400 difficult, distressed people. What was his job? To minister to them, to give them direction, to train them for the future. He could have, David could have easily said, you know, this is too big for me, God. I, I can't do this. I'm actually comfortable here in the cave. He could have been caught up in his own frustrations that he missed his opportunities. He could have said, God, I'm not doing this until you put me where I need to be. Put me on the throne. You told me I was going to be king, and now you've got a madman looking after me. Make me king, God. I won't do this until you do it. He didn't bargain with God. He didn't try to negotiate. His family showed up, the people showed up, and David obeyed. I think that's a great example for us when we find ourselves in difficult situations. At one point in his life, Jesus is so tired. He's kind of frustrated with the people. He gets in a boat and goes to the other side just to escape the people, the escape ministry. He needed a break. And he gets on the shore, and guess what happens? Over 5,000 people, they traveled around the lake to get to him. The Son of God, who earthly person needed a break, could have said, You know what? Delete. You're all gone. He could have put a pause. Instead, he obeyed. He got busy doing the ministry of God. David did it. Jesus does it. Shouldn't we do it? When we're waiting, when we're trying to figure out what to do, isn't sometimes the best thing just start doing His, his work? We should look for the opportunities that God is giving us to serve. Then we'll not only be blessed in the midst of the situation, we will actually start sharing blessings with other people. The other lesson I want us to consider has to do with the way David's situation reminds us, as I just kind of pointed out, back to Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect one. How did people treat him? They rejected him. They crucified him. And then God took him from that spot, that dark cave that his body was placed in, and he raised him up and placed him on a throne, crowned him with glory and honor. David will leave this cave. He starts the transition and the moving into becoming the true king, and then he's crowned with that, and he's given the glory and the and the position of being in the lineage of the future Messiah. 
Here we see this kind of summed up in Jesus, who gives out his life, who is oppressed, who is rejected, and an enemy has snares for him, and yet he willingly goes into that cave through death. And then God reaches down and places him alive on the throne. Jesus had a ragtag group of people, ones that you wouldn't want to pick. Fishermen, tax collector, complainers, sinners. Kind of like all of us. We fit the description of those who are in distress and debt and discontented. The kind of people who Jesus was attracted to in his earthly ministry. The sinners, the outcasts of society, and those tend to be still the kind of people that are more likely to hear and be open to the message of Christ today. Those who are powerful and view themselves as perfect are not the ones that came to Jesus for repentance. They're the came that came to Jesus with pointed fingers of judgment. And more often today, they still do that. So which would you be? Are you the one who's casting a judgmental glare? Are you coming as, I'm empty, I'm alone? Look at what Jesus did with his band of uneducated, common, outcast individuals. He created a community of love and a truth that changed the world. And it's so much changed the world that it's continuing to change the world. It continues to be the will of God for the church to create a caring community of love and truth that continues to change the world. One person at a time, one family group, it reaches out and it changes. You're despaired? You're discontented? Let me show you that you can join us. We don't need more guilt or more piled on distresses. We already have enough hurts of our own. Instead, we need a place of encouragement, a refuge, a place to sink into and hide for healing. Just like David did. Just like the disciples did. And that's what God is. David says, you are my refuge. You are the one I hide in. God, you are my cave. I will place all my trust in you. I will hide into you. Then your strength will fill me. Then my enemies will know that you are our God. That's what God is. That's what God needs to be for us. Our refuge, our shelter, our, our mighty rock, our fortress, our stronghold, our high tower. Keep looking through uh, the Psalms and you'll see how David keeps describing him. This cave of wonders was not the physical rock. It was God that he went into. I'd like to end with this quote from a book of, uh, called Edge of Adventure by Keith Miller and Bruce Larson. Listen to this description. The neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship of Christ that God wants to give to us through the church. It's an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality, but it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It's unshockable. It's democratic. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others, or even want to. 
The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to be known and to know, to love and to be loved. And so many people seek the counterfeit at the price of a few beers. He goes on to say, with all my heart, I believe that Christ wants his church to be unshockable. A fellowship where people can come in and say, I'm sunk, I'm beat, I've had it. Alcoholics Anonymous has this quality. And so many times our churches miss it. Let me just say something. St. Joe Church of Christ can be that kind of people, that kind of place. It's got to be one where we're unshockable. And what that means is there are sins. There are people in situations dealing with sins that we can't be going, oh, did you see what they're doing? Instead, we need to be, the grace of God can cover that. It's no different than me. Can you sit by me? Come sit with me. Let me put my arm around you and show you where I am empty. And yet God fills me. St. Joe Church Christ needs to be the type of place where somebody comes in and they're saying, I don't know what to do with my life. And you can say, I didn't either, but let me show you the one who does. Where we can come together like the men of David and we can become the mighty people of valor in God's army. One that goes out and advances and breaks the kingdom of darkness. That says, I don't care what sin you've committed, my God is bigger. I don't care how sunk you feel you are, my God can raise you up. If He can raise the dead, you're still living. Let me show you Him. Let us know God is our real refuge and strength, not doing it on our own. Let us know God and run to Him in honesty and vulnerability. Let us continue to create this culture. We wore jerseys just as a a fun thing. And you know why you all did it? Because you felt comfortable that there's going to be others doing it. Because we're of one like mind. Not of one team. Not even of one sport. But we have one God. And we come together in that. Let's continue to create that community. A place for real people with real problems and real pain. And then we can all say this like David did in 142 verse 7. Bring me out of the prison so that I can thank you. Notice he's saying not bring me out of this so that I can be free. Bring me out of this desperation, this despair so that I can point to you as my refuge. Point to you as the one who saves me. That's what David did. That's what he continues to do all through the the books we're going to be looking at. Through Psalms you can read it. That's what we need to be doing. If you right now are in a cave of despair, of desolation, if you are in a pit that you just don't know how to get out of, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge it. I've told many people, I I suffer from clinical depression, and I got into a really dark pit. I got into a really bad pit. And I kept digging deeper in it, away from God. I wanted to die. 
There was nothing left for me. And then some really amazing, messed up people stepped into my life and said, remember God. And they walked beside me. But that only came after I finally said, God, I don't want to be here anymore. God, I'm tired of this pit. Would you help me? And then the people were there. And I realized I could have left that cave at any point if I just turned to God and sought their refuge in Him. So let me tell you, the cave of God, the refuge strength is not cold. It is not desolate. It is not depressive. It is amazing warmth, strength, encouragement. So if you're in a cave right now, if you're in a pit, will you acknowledge it? You first and foremost say, I am tired of being in this pit. God, will you rescue me so that I can thank you because you are God. Acknowledge it to Him. And then welcome and accept the support and encouragement of the church. Those are the two things I'm asking of you today. If you are in that pit, acknowledge it. And then accept the help that He gives you. We're going to go together and we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song again to thank God for who He is in our life. If you need to make that declaration that you need out of that pit, I'm going to be right over there. And we'll pray together and there'll be others I know who will join us. And we'll go to God. And we'll see Him transform that pit into a cave of wonders where the riches are beyond what you can imagine. Would you stand? And let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son. God, we praise you for what you have done for us. God, I thank you that you went into the cave, the empty tomb. You filled it with our sins. You filled it with our despair. But then you left it with the victory. And you, you God, have given us that victory when we claim and cling on to you. So, God, right now, I know there are some of us here who are hurting in the, in the wrong pit, in the wrong cave, and I ask that you would help us to stand up, that you would help us to reach out and to proclaim that you are the refuge we need. You are the cave we need to live within. Give us your strength, God. Assure us of who you are as we seek this. And thank you so much for your Son, in whom name we pray and sing. Amen.